Well, good morning and welcome to everybody who is here today with us in person uh, or on the lawn in the cars, of course, uh, or watching in the live stream. I think I'm looking at the right camera. Um, <clears throat> whether you are from Nova, uh, part of Gateway Church, a part of Momentum, uh, and if you're a guest with us today, uh, we are glad that you are here. Uh, very much so. <clears throat> and for those who are watching later on the live stream, uh, the recording of the live stream, I should say, thanks for joining us also and for watching. So today is September 27th. Can you believe it is the end of September already? <laughs> uh, wow, it, it is amazing how time flies. And we have been in a series called Steadfast uh, that's taken us on a journey through the New Testament book of James. And today is significant because it marks the end of that series uh, <clears throat> as we look at the last two verses in James's letter. But I realized something else significant about this date a couple of weeks ago as I began preparing for today and thinking about this message. Today marks two years since my family and I moved here to the South Bay. <laughs> awesome. We spent our first night in our new home on September 27th, two years ago, 2018. Again, amazing how time just seems to fly. <clears throat> but for our series in Steadfast through the book of James, as we arrive at the end, you may notice for this letter that James wrote that it doesn't end like many other letters in the New Testament. It actually ends kind of abruptly. There's no signing off. There's no, hey, I wish you were here. <laughs> There's no uh, sending all our love or blessings and written to a bunch of different people and names. It just kind of ends. And I was thinking about that a little bit and, and I realized, you know what? That's okay. One reason, because it's God's word and it's not gonna change. But another reason, because it actually fits. And so, especially if we kind of remember the starting point in the letter. And as we're wrapping up the book of James, we can think back to how it began. And it really began this way. James chapter 1, verse 1 reads, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. At the beginning of his letter, there's real no lengthy, drawn-out beginning, not a lot of greetings, no real details. James identifies himself. He identifies who he's writing to, and he says one word, greetings. And then he jumps right in. So to me, it kind of makes sense that there wouldn't be a whole lot of that stuff at the end too. James seems to be very moving forward, action-oriented. He seems to go from one sentence to the next, one topic to the next. Our passage for today is in chapter 5, verses 19 and 20, the end of the, the book, the letter. You can turn there in your Bibles, um, on your app, whatever you have. The passage is also included at the top of the notes, which are found on the website. I think it's the same document that has like the service order and the song lyrics that you may have just been using, found on the app as well. But more recently in this last section of James chapter five, the discussion has been about prayer for a bunch of verses. Uh, prayer for the suffering back in verse 13. Prayer for the sick in verses 14 through 16. Prayer for the nation in verses 17 and 18. And that's where we saw Elijah brought up as this example of faith that Pastor Dean talked about last week. And that brings us to today's passage in that section. James 5, verses 19 through 20. And I'll read that for us. We read, My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. Again, James 5, verses 19 through 20. 
God's Word for us today. And in this passage, there, there are a number of things that could be discussed and, and talked about and focused on, but I think it's one of the verbs in there that really brings things into focus in this section of James. And it's the word err, E-R-R in English, err in verse 19. And the verb err, it means to wander, and that's exactly how it's translated in that verse. If one of you should wander, that's the verb I'm talking about. Um, so the verb err means to wander, and it suggests kind of a, a gradual moving away from something. In this case, from the will of God. And, and sadly, we see this tragedy occurring in people's lives and, and, and all throughout churches regularly. Now, sometimes somebody is overtaken quickly, suddenly. But usually the sin, it's a result of a slow, gradual, spiritual decline. Slow, small steps, one at a time. And this condition is dangerous. It's dangerous to the offender because they might face God's discipline. But it's also dangerous to the church because a wanderer along their journey can influence other people and bring them down as well or lead them astray. And this is why the matter is important for James and the believers he was writing to and for us today as well. The origin of this problem is found in that statement in verse 19, wander from the truth. The truth means, of course, the word of God here. Your word is truth is actually spoken by Jesus himself in a prayer in John 17, verse 17. And unless believers stay close to the truth, they can start to drift away. Hebrews 2, verse 1 reads, We must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. The wanderer has wandered from the truth, James says. And for James, truth we've seen all throughout his letter, it's not simply something to be believed, but by its nature, it's also something to be practiced, to be done, to be put into practice in our lives as followers of Jesus. And James, therefore, shows the seriousness of this idea of wandering from the truth. It's not a small matter, he says. And in verse 20, he's telling us that it risks death to wander from the truth, in essence. It's to wander from life. Now, that's quite a setup for these couple of verses, but it's important to understand what's being written about. It's also important to think through, I think, the characters involved here. So I want to take a brief moment and introduce the characters, so to speak. And I'll do this quickly. The first couple of them are quickly. So introducing the characters first, we want to remember who James is writing to. This one's simple. He addresses it right to them. He says, Brothers and sisters, right there in verse 19. Fairly straightforward. So we want to remember, who is James writing to? He's writing to brothers and sisters in Christ. Next, we want to recognize what he is writing about. It's important to note who is wandering here. That's one thing that's important about this passage. James says, it's one of you who might wander. Who's the you? The brothers and sisters he's writing to in the same verse. The sinner here is a believer not an unbeliever. And this is interesting because we, we expect unsaved people to sin, not to follow God's rules. But God expects his children to obey his word and his commands. And as I thought about this idea and how it relates to a wanderer, I actually remembered a very famous quote from one of my favorite authors. Um, this might be the most famous quote. I didn't look up 
but it might be the most famous quote known from J.R.R. Tolkien. And the single line that stuck out in my memory last week was this, not all those who wander are lost. That's from Tolkien. Yes, I'm a, I'm a fan, big Tolkien fan, if you didn't know that. And I know the context for Tolkien was absolutely nothing to do with the context from James. I just thought it'd be a good way to work in a Tolkien quote. Um, but according to James, though, the person wandering is not someone who is lost. They're not an unbeliever. This is referencing a believer who has wandered from the truth. And his point here, Christians can wander. So we see who James is writing to. We see and recognize who James is writing about. And then we want to see why this matters. What does he say about this? So we want to realize in this passage, he's setting up this idea of who has a responsibility to act. Who has a responsibility to act? James says in the same verse, someone should bring that person back. This is important because of the someone and the bringing back. These verses deal with our ministry to a fellow believer who has strayed from the truth. We shouldn't tell ourselves that that responsibility is only the role of the pastors and the leaders. If the wanderer is a Christian brother or sister and you know it's happening, then you have a responsibility to call them back. Yes, I think James sets this up as a responsibility. And what we want to do now with the rest of our time together today is to look at four reminders for our responsibility. Four reminders for our responsibility. What are we to do when we see a fellow believer wandering from the truth? It's a great question. I think our first reminder is one, prayer is the starting point. While prayer is not specifically mentioned in these two verses, I think it can be implied. Remember this entire last section have been talking about prayer for all of these different things. And if we're supposed to be praying for the suffering, praying for the sick, praying for the nation, then we should also be praying for the wanderer. I think that can easily be implied there. And we should pray for them to be sure. But according to James, we other believers have a responsibility to do more than just pray for them, but to actually take part in bringing them back to the truth. As Christians, we're to be looking out for one another. Churches are communities of faith. Community is that key word there. God intends us to help spur one another on to obedience to his commands. And some people look at the end of James and they want to delve into all kinds of other topics. One of the big ones that you see when you start reading about all this is the idea of what gets called eternal security or can people lose their salvation? I'm not going to do that today. Um, one, we don't need to, but two, I don't think that's what James is getting at in this part of the letter. And if that's not his main focus, I'm not going to make it ours. But I will say that here in this part of James chapter 5, we learn something very interesting about salvation and significant. Now, salvation teaches us that when you trust in Jesus as your Savior and your Lord to cover your sins, to make you right before God, you're adopted into his family and you become a child of God forever. Something this passage reveals to us is that as God saves us and sustains us, he uses other believers in the process. As God saves us and sustains us, he uses other believers in the process. Makes total sense, right? He uses other believers to tell us about him, to bring us to him. He's going to continue to use other believers 
to keep us in that process. So if the question is, how does God keep us in his family? How does he guard us from wandering? How does he preserve our salvation to the end? The answer James seems to be giving is through you. Through you, other believers. This is accomplished through community. How does God preserve his people? It's at least in part through his people. That's what he does. Of course, God is sovereign, and he is the one who actually does the work of preserving. But he does it through the church, which should be looking out for and caring for and loving one another. This, I think, brings us to number two in our reminders, of our four reminders. Number two, love is the attitude. Our faith is lived out in the context of the body of Christ. James repeatedly addresses his hearers, just like in these verses, as brothers and sisters. People who are to be loving God and loving each other. Whether it's walking through trials, seeking wisdom, using our tongues, caring for the poor. These are all topics throughout the book of James. All of this happens in the context of the body of Christ, the church, with other believers. People who are to be loving God and loving each other. Now, many of us, I think, would probably admit that we haven't thought much about this. Because when we see a Christian straying, a lot of times we have a tendency to excuse ourselves and we'll say something like, it's really not my business. Or we think that our responsibility begins and ends with just praying for them. I'll pray for them. And James would certainly have us pray for them. Absolutely. But he wants us to confront them lovingly with their straying and tenderly call them back. But the attitude has to be love. With prayer as the starting point and love as the attitude, we come to our third reminder. Reconciliation is the goal. Reconciliation is the goal. You may remember that Jesus himself predicted the denials of Peter, that Peter was going to deny him. Excuse me. And with each denial, Peter strayed farther and farther from Jesus until he was pretty far away by the end of that night. But you may also remember that Jesus didn't leave him there in that condition. He pursued him. He restored him. You can read about that in John chapter 21. Jesus is our example in this area, just like Jesus is our example in every other area. And we're supposed to urge the wanderer to come back to wholehearted faith, to be reconciled. It might be, it might be someone close to us, somebody in a Bible study group, in a home group, in a small group. Or maybe it's not. Maybe it's just somebody from church and we know who they are, but we don't really know them. But we haven't seen them in a while and, and something's going on. I'm not sure what that would be. It might be an ungodly relationship they're in. It might be some ungodly activity that they're in. But whatever it is, trying to bring that person back, as James mentions, from such a departure like that, it, it's not easy. In fact, it probably feels incredibly awkward. <laughs> it really does. But if the wanderer is a Christian brother or sister and you know it's happening, I'll say again, you have a responsibility to be a part of bringing them back to the truth. But not out of judgment. That's not at all where this is coming from. Not out of judging them. The goal has to be reconciliation. It needs to be a genuine heart that we have to see their heart walking closely with Jesus. And so we arrive at our fourth reminder. Community is the method. I know that this idea, this part of Christian community, 
it doesn't come naturally to us. It doesn't come naturally to me. But we need to understand that James's instructions throughout his letter about prayer, doctrine, divisions in the church, uh, his instructions, with very few exceptions, are to the entire community of believers. He's writing to the whole church of people, not just to the leaders. And so we, you and I, we are called then to seek ways to bring people back. It needs to be done carefully, of course. And Paul has a little help from this. And as he writes in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, Paul writes, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit, that's us as believers, by the way, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves or you also may be tempted. So it needs to be done carefully. It needs to be done with humility because it's only by God's grace that we're not in that spot. And we may once in our own lives have been in that spot at some point in time. So carefully with humility, it needs to be done with gentleness, prayerfully, lovingly, with reconciliation as the goal and through our community. I remember something from my childhood, I guess I could say that might help here. Polaroids. Everybody know what a Polaroid is? They've come back into popularity recently. A camera like this one, it's probably small, you can't really see it. This is actually an Instax. It's not made by the Polaroid company, but it's the same idea. Um, and these days, almost all pictures are taken digitally. And so they're available instantly. But when I was much younger, that didn't happen. Polaroids were just coming into the height of their popularity, really. You could take a picture and you could see it in just a couple minutes. It had film that would go into the camera and it would spit out like this one. The ones I remember were a little bigger than this. I'm not trying to show you the picture, just give an example. It would spit out a little thing like this, right? And uh, now we used to have to take film from a regular camera somewhere, camera somewhere else to develop and it would take days before we would get that back, unlike today when you see them instantly. But on a Polaroid, the camera would scroll out the little picture, which would begin to develop right before our eyes. And that developing process obviously means that the picture didn't show up immediately. It, it, it took a couple of minutes for it to start to show up. Um, on the Polaroid, if my memory is correct, it also needs light to develop, very different than film from a camera, which would have to go into a dark room or the light could ruin the picture. And so it, it needed light to develop. It, it, it wouldn't need all the chemicals. It wouldn't work in a dark room. And if you remember Polaroids, you may also remember something like this. Some people thought that it would develop faster if you shook it, right? Anybody remember that? They would say, grab it and shake it like this and it would develop faster. That wasn't really true. I don't think it helped speed up the process. Um, and today on, on the newer versions of Polaroid cameras, we're really advised actually not to shake it as it develops, just to kind of let it do its thing. And I thought about this and I wonder, do you know that the same idea really is true for people? People don't develop faster if you shake them. People don't develop faster if you shake them. They need to be in the right environment and cared for and given light and given time. And so I'll emphasize again that this needs to be done, but it needs to be done prayerfully and loving. And the wonder of the gospel message is that it can be done. I remember, I, I use this often, I know, but I remember my old youth pastor from years ago used to always say, God is still in the business of changing lives. 
always has, always will be. So this gospel message tells us that it can be done. People's lives can be changed. Now I understand it may risk the friendship even if it's done in love. It might cause offense to somebody. They might get offended by this. But we have a responsibility to God and to our community, which includes a wanderer, by the way. Our community includes those that wander. I was also thinking we all love a good comeback story, right? In movies, in the books we read, in sports, in business, on the news. Whether it's strangers, people we don't know at all, or whether it's people that we do know. We all love seeing things work out. We root for the underdog. We hope for the best. We want that happy ending. But what if we could be a part of helping make those kinds of things happen? James says we can. And not only can we, I think he says that we should. We have a part, we have a role, we have a responsibility to our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ to be a part of their comeback if they're wandering. We have a role to play in helping each other remain steadfast in our faith. I mentioned earlier that today marks two years since my family and I moved here. September 27th, 2018. There were so many people who came to unload the U-Haul that day. <laughs> Moving boxes, furniture, helping in so many ways, bicycles, all the miscellaneous stuff. There were also so many people who brought our family meals in those first few days. For more than 10 days, you provided for us with love and with care. And more ways than that also. The first Sunday we were here at Nova during what gets called plaza time. There's all kinds of snacks and things going on. All of the snacks after that first worship service when we were here were all things that were taken off a list. They had asked us a few weeks before, what are some of our favorite snacks and things we like to eat? And everything on the plaza time snacks that day was taken from that list of things we like. Somebody even brought us bacon. <laughs> Thank you. Um, <laughs> um, it's actually one of my kids that put that on the list. Uh, now, I'm not saying that it's been two years, you need to keep bringing my family meals. That's not what I'm getting at. Uh, but I was thinking, we are so good at welcoming people, celebrating them when they're new, especially when they're new to the faith. But what about as the years pass by? What about as they grow? Do we continue to celebrate them, welcome them with open arms and open hearts, come alongside them, encourage them, build them up, help them with struggles, help them to remain steadfast in their faith, even when they wander. James thought his readers needed a reminder about this. And it was so important to him that he puts it right at the end of the letter. Here, James ends his letter with this idea that we remain steadfast together. If you remember, I mentioned that James didn't have a lot of extra stuff included in the opening of his letter. But he did begin with an initial thought for his readers. In chapter 1, verse 4, I look back at this, and I think it's important. He wrote kind of an initial theme, maybe, if you will. In James 1, verse 4, Let perseverance finish its work, so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. I'll read that again. Let perseverance finish its work, 
so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. James 1 verse 4. How are we to let perseverance finish its work? Remain steadfast together. How are we to become mature and complete? Remain steadfast together. How are we to be not lacking in anything? You got it. Remain steadfast together. This is an interesting way for James to wrap up his thoughts when writing to believers who have been scattered all over the place. But I think this also makes sense. Since you're scattered, you need to be reminded more than ever to find and remain connected to other believers, to Jesus, to his church, so that you can live out your faith, which isn't done by yourself, but it's done while you're connected with Jesus and while you're connected with other believers. James concludes this way because this is exactly what he's been trying to do this entire letter. Confront those who have wandered from a living faith and help them to understand that they should not only be hearers of the word, but doers of it as well. Our faith is something to be lived out and we are to remain steadfast together. That's the end of the book of James. Kind of wild, huh? Again, it just ends abruptly. But I also wanted to take this opportunity today to talk about the importance of small groups. Small groups, if you're not familiar with the term, they're groups of believers who meet together regularly. A lot of ours here at Nova meet uh, weekly, but they meet together regularly to care for each other, to study God's word, to apply it and live it out. Um, and, and, and it's so important, I think, to be connected to other believers. And I'll go ahead and I'll say that that doesn't really happen in a large group setting with hundreds of people or even with dozens of people. So if you're someone who's just attending our worship services, that is awesome, truly awesome. And I mean that, I love it. But if you truly want to remain steadfast in your faith, then I think you need to be connected to other believers, not just at a larger gathering, but in some form of smaller group gatherings in whatever form that would take. Not for your salvation, but for your perseverance, as James would say, for your growth, for your maturity. And so if you're interested in getting connected to a small group here at Nova, please just reach out and contact me directly. Uh, for those of you that don't know, my name is Adam. The last name is Duchin, Du and Chin, just like your chin. Uh, and you can email me directly, adamduchin at novachurch.org. One of the things I do on staff here uh, is to kind of oversee small groups as well. But I, I don't just oversee groups. I'm in one. Not one that I lead, but I'm in one as well. And so I think this is extremely important and key for us as believers to remain steadfast together. And so I, that's, my, that's my shameless plug for small groups here at Nova. Um, but I, 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 will, I will never take shame in that. They're amazing and awesome. They have been throughout my life. And I hope they will be through yours as well. 